This week on Rotten and Righteous Mash and Sackcloth, we show some of that good old down-home country hospitality. We never met you before. <laughs> of course you don't have a letter you're there, new, you, buddy. you idiot. You're, you're never going to come back again. You're new here, and you won't come back again. So, stop. Welcome to MASH and Sackcloth, the podcast that, like the operating room in MASH, creates no audible laughter from its audience. With me, as always... That's funny. (laughs) With me, as always, he's been suffering with a bit of shrapnel somewhere on his body, but I'm not telling you where it's at, you pervert. He's Scott Judge. (laughs) It's in my tush. Uh, Before we get into today's uh, episode reviews, I did come across a a bit of news that really just makes me so very proud of my state that uh, I want to share it with you. (laughs) I can't wait to hear it. This is from the uh, Associated Press, and the headline reads, Ohio man upset over Canada's mask mandates sends bomb threat to wrong Ottawa. (laughs) For what purpose? What an idiot! The twenty-year Canadian? No, listen. He's an Ohio man. That's what he just said. Okay. I don't know why he was mad at Canada's mask mandates. A man who wanted to join the protests in Canada's capital over mask mandates called in a bomb threat so that police would waste their time chasing it. Authorities said. But he called the wrong Ottawa, a village in Ohio. The man is a 20-year-old from Akron, Ohio, who called the Putnam County Sheriff's Office twice Monday, said Sheriff's Captain Brad Brubaker. The first time, he made a bomb threat. And then, in a second call, he said he had been shot, Brubaker said. That's when the man found out... Well, that turned ugly quickly. That's when the man found out he was talking to someone in Ohio. He wasn't paying attention. He just called the first number he found, Brubaker told the Lima News. He said he was mad about mask mandates. The sheriff's office said it would ask the county prosecutor to consider charges against the man. And, uh, that's the whole story. How, how did he get shot? He didn't. He just said he did. Oh, I thought you. Oh. <laughs> you have not been listening. A man on the show. A man Apparently in not in Akron, Ohio, called Ottawa, yeah. Ohio, to call in a bomb uh-huh. threat that would that would uh, uh, hinder the Canadian Ottawa Police Department. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. morons, morons everywhere, and not a drop to drink. All right, let's get into this week's episode. The first episode of this week, I should say. Episode number seven, titled Bananas, Crackers, and Nuts. After a uh, 
unusually long stretch in the OR. Hawkeye and Trapper have their first fight as a couple over the fact that they don't have no boost to drink, and they decide that they need some R&R. Unfortunately, the man in charge of handing out passes to Japan, Henry, you know, everyone's beloved leader, is departing for a few days of golf. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this show. Which leaves Frank, who is (laughs) unlikely to let them have any R&R, in charge. Hawkeye decides that the best way for him to get his leave that he so desperately needs is to pretend to be insane. Uh, He... Pretends to be insane in a variety of ways. For example, he puts a breathing tube down the throat of an innocent dog. He rejects a proposition from an attractive nurse. And he claims that he's a cannibal by eating a plate of presumably human liver and full surgical garb that he got from a North Korean. It took this long for Frank to realize that uh, that there might be something wrong with Pierce. It, it took him recreating Silence of the Lambs for it to to really uh, get into Frank's thick skull. Frank touches the plate, and, and Hawkeye just loses it. He's like, that's my only piece of liver, and you ruined it. And the thing that I find really gross is not so much the eating a human liver. I mean, yeah, that's gross, but it, you know, whatever. But the fact that when Hawkeye sits down with his liver... And Frank asks him what he's eating, and Hawkeye goes, liver. Frank, like like Pavlov's dog hearing a bell, just starts salivating wi- wildly at the thought <laughs> of having of having some liver. I gotta tell you, Scott, war is, ha- war is hell. It, it just is. You got men dying for some liver. Mm-hmm. I've never been that hungry. The thing that, that got me the most was the dog. I felt bad for that poor dog. He didn't deserve to have a breathing tube shoved down his throat. The thing, another thing that bothers me is this show never actually like corrected the cannibalism. They never explained where Hawkeye got that liver from. And it was definitely liver. I mean, sure. You could tell. Are you a liver connoisseur, Zach? Scott, I feel like you're 30 minutes behind in this conversation. I already spoke about this. What's that? I said I, I find it disturbing that people would fight over liver. I've never been that hungry. Ah, I thought you meant human liver. No, I meant liver in Pork general. Liver's the best. I do not eat liver. I I am I don't need to. I'm not alive during the depression. I'm not fighting people over squirrel brains. I'm I'm I like to eat the protein of animals, just not the liver parts of them. I think the 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 innard should the stay You're missing inside. Out. I'm not. The innard should stay innard. Trapper is the one that has to go up to Frank and be like, "Man, Hawkeye is losing it, and you probably should send him to Tokyo for a little R and R. He's fighting people over liver, even if it was human or not. Fighting someone over a piece of liver is insane." Frank's like, "You know what? I think he's right." And Trapper's like, "And I'm the only one that can handle him. You know me. I, I keep Hawkeye on a short leash." And Frank and Margaret's like, "You know." He's right. So they agree that they're going to send him to Tokyo, which is great. Margaret suspects that Hawkeye's pretending to be insane just to go to Tokyo. Because, you know, I'll be honest, if all it took for me to get a trip to Tokyo, I'd probably act insane too. But she calls in a uh, psychiatrist friend named Captain Philip G. Sherman 
to assess his emotional state. Now, Sherman is probably the most pitiable uh, man on this show because he is the only person, it seems, to have had any sort of attraction towards Margaret that was not reciprocated in some way. <laughs> Amen that. You really wouldn't think that is possible. No, but sure enough, it, that's what happened. Because Margaret loved everybody. Oh, she, Some people she loved more. I don't know if she loved everybody, but she certainly lusted everybody. During a psychiatric session in the swamp, Hawkeye tells him what sparked his insanity. It turns out that he's in love with Frank. He's just in love with Frank Burns. He sleeps with Frank's shaving cream brush under his pillow. He's so in love. But, alas, Frank doesn't return his feelings, and it's just driving him mad. That's all it takes for Hawkeye to be deemed insane. Klinger can walk around in a nothing but a dress for 37 years. Nothing. But Hawkeye pretends to be gay for five minutes. Boom. Let's, let's ship him on out of here. Yeah, apparently the rules were different, PK. Pre, so, Pre-Klinger. Right. So, with that, Sherman decides that he does need to get Hawkeye away, but not for R&R in the arms of a poor, lowly geisha in Japan that Hawkeye was hoping for, but instead, he needs to take him to an institute in Japan where he can be under constant surveillance. Harry returns from his golf trip, and he learns of everything that has happened while he was gone. And Sherman's like, I need to take Hawkeye away. And Harry's like, you can't take him away. He's Or Henry's, rather, is like, you can't take Hawkeye away. He's my best surgeon. Uh, we can't do it without him. And Sherman's like, he's, you don't understand. He's insane. He's gay. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. But seriously, you can't take him. And then he tries to get Frank in. He's like, listen, you know what, what Hawkeye's doing. He's just trying to get some R&R in Tokyo. Just tell him he's not insane. But of course, Margaret and Frank are like, uh, this dude's going to take away this bully away from us. Uh, for a while, I'm I'm not gonna just pass up on this opportunity. Yes, he is he is certifiable, sir. Please take him away. I agree with your diagnostic, uh, Mr. Sherman. Now, Hawkeye, when he hears that Sherman's planning to institutionalize him, also confesses to the ruse, saying, "Look, I was just pretending." And then Sherman brings up a good point, saying, well, it would be insane for you to pretend to be insane, so I'm still going to take you in and uh, treat you in Tokyo. And that's when Hawkeye realizes that he's got to get his hands dirty if he wants to save himself from the funny farm. He pulls Radar aside, and they concoct a scheme to foil Sherman's plans. Later on, after the plan has been hatched in the mess tent, Radar starts to plant the idea in Sherman's mind that Margaret is actually a little bit thirsty. And the only thing that'll quench her thirst is a little tall glass of Sherman. Meanwhile, Trapper swaps the signs on Margaret's and Sherman's tents. So, Sherman was staying in the visiting officer's tent while Margaret was staying in Margaret's tent. So, he puts the visiting officer sign on Margaret's tent and Margaret's tent on the visiting officer sign. Or, officer's tent. And he unscrews the light bulb. So, Sherman... Goes into his tent where he thinks he belongs. And why he does that, uh, Trapper again very quickly switches the, the, the signs around so that Margaret goes into her tent where Sherman tries to aggressively rape her. This was the big joke. Sherman was going to rape Margaret 
Margaret shouting, no, no, please, someone help me, as Sherman continues to kiss her and says, oh, you know you want this. <laughs> this is such a funny comedy. Woo! Oh, I'm dying over here. Laugh track was going crazy. Man. And so when Margaret's cries for help finally catch the attention of people, they see Sherman in a compromising position, and they send him out of the camp. And Hawkeye escapes being sent to Tokyo. And is Sherman brought up on charges? No, of course not, because this is MASH, where you can do horrible, you do horrible things to people, and then it goes away. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> Later on, Hawkeye and Trapper, they just got themselves a whole week of R&R. They got their Hawaiian shirts on, nice and pressed. But then, of course, over the, the PA... They're told that the wounded are on their way. So they reluctantly toss their bags back in their tents and head towards the OR. The end. The end. So if we're keeping track... Did you track, like this episode? No, I didn't. I thought this episode was dated... Yeah, it's not one of my favorites either. Dated terribly. I'm not joking about that. They seriously... Put Margaret, and as shrewish as she is, she still should have been put in that situation of being sexually assaulted. So far in these first so seven seven episodes, it has showed Hawkeye is just a dirt person who's who's talented, and so it justifies his dirt personness. Not only that, but he's also very much so guilty of animal abuse, cannibalism, and entrapment in this episode. Small details. I didn't like this episode. I never have. Interestingly enough, I don't know that you see this one very much when reruns are on. It's not one of the ones that gets shown a lot, I don't think. Huh, I can't imagine why. We now take you to episode number two of this week's episode. <laughs> we... <laughs> We gotta figure out a better way to transition. <laughs> we we we're gonna now take you to episode two of episode eight. <laughs> Let me take you back to November twelfth, nineteen seventy two, to the very first episode listed in TV Guide as a quote unquote classic episode of Mash, titled "Cowboy." I was two, by the way. Gosh, you are so old. I was I'm old enough to be your dad. I was negative I was negative nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a young it, pup. It's the eighteen hundreds, and we're on a cattle farm. A lone tumbleweed skirts across the frame as cowboy hawkeye. Pierce steps up, and he spits a bit of chaw on the ground at the boots of Black Frank Burns. He says, why are you here in my town? Pierce does, and Burns goes, I'm here to rob the bank. And then there was a quick cut to a clock, and it struck noon. And then we get two close-ups, one of Hawkeye's eyes and one of Frank's eyes as they twitch violently. And Hawkeye goes, I'm a fixin' to kill you, cowpoke. 
Not really. That's not why this episode's called Cowboy. It doesn't take place in the Old West times. <laughs> I wish it was. I was that enjoying be... this, though. That was really good. That would have been... That would have been something. Yeah, yippee ki bouncing off the hill somewhere. It's good stuff. In true, uh, in truth, the the episode begins with Lieutenant Cowboy Hodges, a chopper pilot, whose nickname stems from his omnipresent gun holster uh, that's carrying two revolvers and a Stetson hat. Now listen, I've seen pictures of, of guys fighting over in, in Korea. And I realize that the, the uniform was not always as strict and as stringent as it is uh, in today's military. But I'm pretty sure you can't bring your own guns to war. No. I think that's frowned upon. And I don't, I'm not thinking the cowboy hat was probably okay either. I'm going to look that up. No. Bringing a privately owned weapon to war is not allowed. They're fairly persnickety about it in the U.S. Army, at least. Okay. That's what I thought. But then again, that answer from Cora had the word persnickety. So, um, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, so he's, he's you know, he's looking like a olive drab uh, um, Yosemite Sam. And he lands at the 4077th with another batch of wounded and another wound of his own, this time in the shoulder. In post-op, Cowboy asks Hawkeye to check the mail because he's been expecting a letter. Now, he just got there, so of course there's not a letter. Cowboy, you're asking like you got your mail here every week for the past eight episodes. We never met you before. (laughs) Of course you don't have a letter there. You're all new, buddy. You idiot. You're you're never going to come back again. You're new here, and you won't come back again. So, stop. But, uh, Hawkeye goes, Well, of course there's no mail here, you dummy. But, uh, clearly there's something wrong with you. With with you. Why don't you tell me what, what's, what's got your, what's got your, your doggy in a bunch. Cowboy said, well, As far as something's wrong, there could be something. But it ain't something I can fix from here. And then he asks Hawkeye if his wound's bad enough to get him sent home, even for a little while. And Hawkeye's like, listen, maybe I'll see what I can do. (laughs) (laughs) Then Henry goes to his office where Hawkeye is waiting to talk to him about Cowboy. He shows him Cowboy's x-rays and Henry says, yeah, that's not, that's nothing. He he got like a flesh wound. Cowboy's going to have to keep flying around. And then Hawkeye's like, but listen, he's having a bad day, Henry. Can't we just send him home from war for a little bit? And Henry goes, no, that's not how this works, bud. Go away, I'm in a bad mood. Thanks for asking. Back in the swamp, after Hawkeye and Trapper exchange some stories about Henry's bad mood, Hawkeye suggests that Henry needs to relax. And so the next day, Hawkeye and Ho-John... The camp's Korean person. Servant. Sure. (laughs) Moose. uh, Take Henry out for a round of golf on a golf course that he and Trapper had mapped out on a large piece of land next to the camp. As they play the first hole, which is a par 29, according to Hawkeye, uh, (laughs) 
Henry's just starting to unwind. He's about to take his second swing, hoping that he can make it in the under 26 shots he has left uh, at the ball when they're fired upon from nearby. After diving for cover in some nearby bushes, Hawkeye suggested it was a sniper, but Henry's not so sure because the shot came from Hank, from camp. Uh, but then Henry gives up on the game and goes back to his tent. Now, I know what you're thinking, dear listeners. You're thinking, well, this whole camp must be in a tizzy. They've got a shooter loose in the camp. Nope, nobody cares. It's fine. Nah. Because in, in Korea, shots came from camp without investigations, and you could just bring your own guns from home. This first shot at, at Henry turns out to be the first of a chain of close calls for the commander. That night in his tent, Henry is just getting into bed when a jeep tries to run him over. Just plows right into his tent. Oh boy, he's having a terrible time. And nobody's behind the wheel. Nobody wants to suggest that maybe a ghost is after him. And Hawkeye and Trapper both agree that someone is trying to get Henry. And they need to keep a close eye on Henry to make sure nobody kills him. But before Hawkeye can react, the officer's toilet just blows up with Henry standing inside with a toilet seat around his neck. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about it. At all. How did that toilet seat... It was funny. Doesn't make sense. I mean, the only way that that would have worked, I think, is if he he had his head in the toilet Mm -hmm. when it blew up. I don't know. It doesn't matter. At daybreak, Henry's trying to get some semblance of normal. But everyone else, even Radar, is too scared to get near him. Meanwhile, in post-op, the mail's being passed out. But again, Cowboy doesn't get no letter. Oh, shucks. And he laments to to Hawkeye that he hasn't heard from his wife in a week. And Hawkeye goes, we're in Korea, homie. It's not like we have cell phones over here. Of course you haven't heard from your wife in a week. Calm down. It's not that long. Snapchat, email, Twitter. Man, my wife hasn't, hasn't even poked me on Facebook. He's like, I haven't heard from my wife in a week. And he's like, well, that's great. I haven't heard from my dad in... Seven weeks since that first episode when I wrote him a letter. So, things are bad all over, bub. Times are tough. But, but Cowboy's... Oh, man. Cowboy and his voluptuous mustache is just... In, in just pure agony as he's imagining that his wife's probably off with, with some rodeo rider. You know, something all cowboys say. A rodeo rider. You ever heard that anybody in a rodeo referred to as a rodeo rider? Because I haven't. Rodeo so whoever, rider? I don't think so. I mean, I've heard of bull riders or bronco mm-hmm. busters. Never once be like, hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a rodeo rider. No, you're not. Shut up. <laughs> Stupid. I'm on the circuit. As he begins to check his personal guns from home, he mentions to Hawkeye that he's able to shoot a rattlesnake from 50 feet away. And then, cryptically remarks, of course the army has its own kind of snakes, don't it? But this doesn't make Hawkeye immediately call for the psychiatrist he framed for rape in the last episode back to get him some mental help, which he clearly needs, or take away those guns. He's just like, yeah, it does. Bye! (sighs) And when Henry goes to the mess tent for dinner, he's soon joined by Hawkeye and Trapper. Both who would both admit that they're worried about him, that someone's trying to kill him. With Hawkeye adding that if anything happens to you, Henry, Frank takes over. 
because he's truly selfless at heart. And they suggest the best thing that, that Henry can do is take a short vacation. And Henry's like, well, I guess I can go to Seoul for a while. Because nobody's going to try to kill you in Korea. Trapper takes a moment to show that he's probably the worst person in the world. Not only is he cheating on his wife with, with a bunch of nurses, but during this scene, he tells Henry that he should probably check his food for poison. And then proceeds to eat all of Henry's dinner. <laughs> that made me mad, Scott. Like, that literally made me mad. I was like, this poor guy is, is really? just trying to eat some food, and then you, you big turd, come up and just eat it all from his plate. What's wrong with you? Can you imagine in real army life if you would have eaten the, the colonel's food like that? No, in real army life, that would not be good. Hawkeye and Trapper would be in prison somewhere waiting to be shot for treason. <laughs> After episode one. I mean, I get it. Most of the time, their pranks are lighthearted and fun, but just leave the man's food alone. The poor guy has it hard enough. He just wants to eat. <laughs> so Hawkeye and Trapper make the arrangements to get Henry to Seoul, while Henry briefs Frank on what to do and what not to do. He nervously and quickly shows Frank the file drawers where he puts all his papers, because I guess he assumes that they're wired to blow up even though Radar is the one who puts those papers in there, so it would be a terrible plan to try to kill Henry that way. But whatever. And then he tells Frank that he's only going to be gone for a few days, and he tosses his keys onto his desk chair like normal person, you know, where you put your keys when you go on a trip, your chair, and uh, his, his chair just blows, blows up. Still, the camp is not on high alert. Later, Henry packed up and ready to leave. He's waiting by the jeep outside the swamp for Hawkeye to return with a driver when Cowboy shows up. And he's like, well, listen here. I can take you to, to Seoul by Chopper. That'd be easy. And Trapper asks if, if Cowboy's all right to flight, fly, seeing as he had that debilitating shoulder injury. And Cowboy's like, perfectly fine. You guess you, guess you were right. I don't need to go home. And so they get up in the Chopper. And what happens is the worst uh, voiceover work I have ever seen on anything ever takes place. 70s or not. You can tell that these two men were in a real helicopter and obviously they wouldn't be able to record audio and so then they recorded audio later but neither of them remembered the lines that they actually said to each other in the helicopter and so what we get is like an English dubbed Godzilla for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Some sound issues. <laughs> You gotta figure. It's 1973, 72, November 12th, 1972. Yeah, that was back before people realized that you move your mouth a certain way to make words. That's right. They didn't have fine sound equipment like I do. Right. <laughs> That's why it sounds like I'm speaking to you with you inside a cotton mattress. How do you know I'm not inside a cotton mattress? Henry and Cowboy are up in the air. And it's only after Henry is in the air, right after they depart, that Hawkeye calls Trapper to post-op, where, after smelling gunpowder, they found a bag hidden under Cowboy's cot, filled with just the most Looney Tune-looking bomb you ever did see. I'm not, I'm not joking. This looked like a bag full of wily e. Coyote traps. I'm pretty sure some one, problems. Or, one or two of them said Acme on it. <laughs> If you have access to a six-year-old, uh, whether that is your child or nephew or grandson, do not steal uh, a six-year-old. 
Um, but if you have access to one, ask them to draw you a picture of a bomb, and I guarantee it'll be more realistic than what was found in this bag. And that's when everyone finally gets it. Oh, cowboy. He's been trying to kill Henry. If only we put even the smallest bit of effort into investigating anything, we could have seen this uh, the first time he took a shot at Henry. Man, if we weren't too busy playing golf and shenanigans and, and adultery, oh, we really we really messed up here, Trapper. In the chopper, Henry notices something strange, uh, namely that a Cowboy's wearing a parachute while he's not. When he asks Cowboy about it, Cowboy only responds that that Henry doesn't need a parachute because it'll only break his fall. And Henry's like, oh, okay. Good line. And then they start to like have like the weirdest looking shoving match where Cowboy is trying to push him out of the helicopter, but then why does Cowboy need the parachute? Because his plan is clearly to try to shove Henry out of the side of a helicopter. Why does Cowboy need the parachute? It would have been a lot better if they just would have like quit the shoving and just played Patsy Hansy or something. At least if that Cowboy, would have been entertaining. If Cowboy understood just how unlucky Henry truly is when it comes to air travel, he wouldn't have even worried about it. He would have just oh, wow. You just climb <laughs> too to soon. A, how is it too soon for a faked character's death that happens in season three of Mash? Henry dies. Still painful for me. They're having this fight, and I'm pretty sure that, that Henry thinks he's going to die. And, well, Hawkeye and Trapper get on the radio to warn Henry that, that Cowboy's trying to kill him. And Henry's like, yeah, I've kind of noticed that uh, he's trying to kill me. He's trying to push me out of this this thing. And that's when, uh, thankfully, Hawkeye and, and Trapper receive a letter from Radar that just arrived for Cowboy. And, and Trapper says to Cowboy, hey, your letter's arrived. And he's like, I don't believe it. You're just telling me that to land the helicopter. And then they go, no, seriously. We had no idea that you were a psychopath until you took the helicopter. Why would we lie about this? Really, we didn't even put that much attention into the, the letter. Everyone else watching this did, but we could care less about the fact that someone was trying to actively assassinate someone. <laughs> That's the dumbest part of this show, Scott. It's not that big a deal. This episode was that somebody was trying to assassinate the 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 commanding officer at this mash, and nobody cared. Nobody. It's so it's so dumb. It's so dumb. So he's like, I don't believe that that's letters from home. And Trevor's like, it is. It came from uh, a woman named Mrs. Jean Hodges, which is his wife's name. And the Atrix box is in 743, and then they go, oh, no, it's it's uh, it's not going to be good news because it, it comes from box 743 in Reno, Nevada. And you think, cowboy, huh, he's not someone that lives in Reno. He lives somewhere in Texas. Clearly, he talks like a Texan. He has guts like a Texan. He has a hat like a Texan. You're, he's not going to be from Reno. But then cowboy's like, actually, I am from Reno. And everybody's like, oh, okay, that's good. Must be a Texan. He's, he's the only cow, cowboy in Reno. That that might that'd be a good movie. I could see Clint Eastwood forty years ago starring in something called the only the last Re cowboy in Reno. <laughs> last cowboy in Reno. That'd been a good movie. Actually, not forty years ago. Forty years ago would only be the eighties. Scott, good night. Yeah, I know. Nineteen eighty-two. I don't see him starring in the last cowboy in Reno in the eighties. 
Cowboy then tells Trapper and Hawkeye to open the letter and read it to him, which Hawkeye does. And unbelievably, the letter begins with, Dear John, which as you know, when a wife leaves a soldier, the cliche is that they write a Dear John letter to tell them that they're breaking up. So of course, this again sends Trapper and Hawkeye and, and Radar into a fear of panic going, she's going to break up with Cowboy. He's just going to drive this helicopter into the ground and kill Henry. But then Cowboy's Girl, like... Girl Blake's dead. Yeah. But then Cowboy's like, okay, keep going. That's my name. Oh, Cowboy, you're just full of mysteries. <laughs> and then Hawkeye begins to read the letter with Cowboy listening intently. Okay, dear John, sometimes... When you're away from someone you thought you loved and find yourself tested by being tempted. Oh gosh, Henry's gonna die. He's gonna die. This woman is gonna break John's heart. <laughs> he is going to die. Anyways, Cowboy's like, oh, just keep reading. And sometimes when you're away from someone you thought you loved and find yourself being tempted, uh, you find yourself being tempted. And that's what happened to me. Dear, dear John. Oh my gosh, Henry. You're gone too soon. Double, dear John. Oh gosh. <laughs> Keep reading. I was tempted and I didn't want to write you until I knew double whether... Double, dear John. Have you ever gotten a double, dear John? No. After the double, dear John, the letter continues. I was tempted and I didn't want to write until I knew whether I passed the test. If I say I love you more than ever, will it tell you how I did? Not really. <laughs> I was tempted. I tried it. Didn't like it. I still love you, big guy. I mean, I think that the bigger I screw up, the more I tell Kelsey that I love her. <laughs> That's just out of obligation. You have to. What? I accidentally threw away the bouquet from our wedding? Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> Did you really? No, I didn't. Oh. But it turns out that she's completely worthy of the most wonderful guy in the world. And I thought, huh, that is the That's most subjective, subjective lines I've ever read in a letter. The most wonderful guy in the world who is currently trying to shove mm-hmm. a high-ranking officer of the U.S. military... Out of a helicopter. The helicopter. The letter turned out to be good. She didn't cheat on him, but she wrote him, or or Cowboy's wife didn't cheat on him, but she wrote him a letter that said that she was real close. Which I think every guy wants to hear when they're over in war. Dear honey, yes. Isn't that a piece of great news? So when Cowboy just learns that his wife uh, didn't cheat on him, he just turns around and takes Henry back. Safely to the 4077. And that's the end of the episode. Except for the the short epilogue. A few days later, Henry joins Hawkeye and Trapper in the swamp and informs them that Cowboy has been shipped to Lakeland Hospital, or Lakeland Base Hospital in Florida, and that his wife has joined him there. And he goes home uh, for a month's leave. And Henry tells them that it was just a classic condition of worry and combat fatigue. You know. Yeah, I got worried. I, I've actually thought about that, Zach. I've been worried before. I thought, you know, what would help me is to uh, 
shove someone out of a helicopter. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just, the show does not have consequences. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Hey, you know what? Some people call it uh, uh, attempted murder. Other people just call it a touch of anxiety. It's a yeah, listen, listen. You call, you call it homicide. <laughs> I call it a bad day. But I'm a good. Bad day. But officer, I'm good now. I killed the guy, so I feel a lot better about it. If you don't mind, I'm just gonna go home to my wife. Talk to you later. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all fine. <laughs> Nobody really likes the guy anyway, so it's good. And finally, Trapper gives Henry a drink and asks him if he was scared up in the air with Cowboy. And Henry nonchalantly replies that he could take care of himself. But when a nearby jeep loudly backfires, Henry jumps, splashing his drink all over Trapper. Who, along with Hawkeye, just breaks out into laughter because this man is dealing with severe trauma, uh, emotional trauma, from having his life uh, almost taken from him several times over the past few days. And he jumps at a backfiring car, and it's just a riot. I mean, I just... I just... I just... (laughs) This This was called one of those classic episodes, Scott. This is one of the episodes that made MASH what it is. And it's nowhere near my favorite. I just don't understand why nothing happens to anybody, ever. Mm-hmm. There's hey, no consequences. Hey, you you attempt to rape a girl? Eh, it's fine, just get out of here. You attempt to murder uh, uh, an officer of a MASH company? Now, just go to Florida for a month, you'll be fine. I would say on a list of favorite shows that... that Cowboy wouldn't even be in my top 40% of shows that I've enjoyed. This certainly was not one of my favorite ones. Uh, yeah, this was pretty much a stinker of a week. Two episodes that were pretty blase at the at, at the very least and uh, problematic at the, the very most. But Scott, the good news is, here at the end of our show, no matter how bad our show is, we do like to remind the folks at home that their day uh, could have been much could worse. Be worse. March 17th, 1990. Stopping lightning in its path. The referee's low blow. The fight was billed Thunder and Lightning. The ultimate light welterweight showdown between two evenly matched undefeated world champions. Julio Cesar Chavez and Meldrick Taylor. Round after round, the clash lived up to every bit of the hype it had generated as Chavez delivered his thunder-packed punches and Taylor retaliating with his own dazzling lightning-fast blows. It was Taylor who dominated on the scorecards, but Chavez, or Chavez's relentless pounding was taking a pulverizing toll. Then in the 12th round, the already thrilling match became historic. Not due as much to either thunder or lightning but to Steele, Richard Steele, the referee with what many considered the worst sense of timing ever. While Chavez would need a knockout to win, Taylor merely had to survive the round, but his corner urged him not to play it safe. Battered and bloody, Taylor nevertheless listened and went in hard. And that's when Chavez nailed him with a right that floored him in a corner. Taylor got right back up, but he was either too dazed or too distracted to respond to a question Steele asked him. 
It was then that the referee made one of the most controversial decisions in boxing history, one that many still say robbed Taylor of his glory. Steele stopped the fight with only two seconds remaining. Ooh. Ooh. Good night, everybody. Mmm. That's horrible. 